It's again a wonderful song, done quite well. Thank you, ladies. Very, very good. All right, let's turn to Jeremiah tonight. Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. I'm uh, losing sleep over a couple of these names. So we'll see how we do here. Jeremiah chapter 36. And again, we're in our Back to God series. And 
Tonight we're going to talk about um, the need to get back to the Bible. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, we've got to do that. I mean, we need to get back to the Bible and, uh, you know, back to God, I should say, because of our country, our culture, our children, our churches. But tonight we need to get back to the Bible. So let's take a look at Jeremiah 36 to kind of kick things off tonight. Again, we're all excited. We're anxious to get to uh, our communion tonight. But uh, let's take just a few moments and consider for just a few uh, this particular issue as we consider getting back to God by getting back to the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 36, beginning in verse 18, the Bible says, Then Barak answered them, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Barak, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. And they went in to the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai read, uh, had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth, until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. I want you to look at verse 39, or 29, excuse me, verse 29. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast? Again, what we're finding here is that that, uh, Jeremiah had dictated the word of God to Barak the scribe. And, of course, the the, uh, word of God ends up in the hands of the king. It's being read by one of his uh, scribes or one of his men, and uh, he doesn't appreciate the message that is in it. Obviously, to be told that there would be a foreign faction that would come in ultimately and take over your country and that you should willingly yield to them. Boy, I'll tell you what, that didn't go over well for the king. I guess he had more to lose than anyone. I mean, let's face it, probably his subjects weren't doing that awfully well, but he was probably doing about as well as anybody there. And so he hated to hear that news and he was unwilling to accept and receive that news, whether it was from man or God. And so what we find here is that he ultimately takes this word or this, 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 uh, these leaves, if you will, and he casts them into the fire and he burns up the word of God. <clears throat> and so the Lord calls him out on it. <clears throat> now look at verse 39, uh, 32. Once again, I'm sorry about that. 32. Verse 32, chapter 36. <clears throat> Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Barak, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah Jeremiah, all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. So now he's getting even a more complete version, if you will. He's going ahead and he's made it much more clear, much more straight. We're not talking about that he had a King James Bible and they decided to upgrade it. That's not what we're talking about here. He's written these words out and he's placed them before the king. The king gets rid of them. He says, guess what, king? You didn't like what you read. Now you're going to get even more of it. 
And the truth is today is that what we saw here in the Old Testament with, Jer- uh, with, with Jeremiah and, and, and with Barak the scribe and, and this king is the same thing we see in our culture and our world today. I mean, we see people who do not appreciate the Word of God, people that are more than willing to do away with the Word of God, to even <clears throat> totally, completely destroy the Word of God. Nothing's really changed over the years. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nothing's really changed over the years. And the fact is, is that the word of God is still under attack today. And it'll continue to be under attack till the day that Jesus Christ returns. And even then, after he establishes a millennial kingdom, people will still stand in opposition to his word. And then one day when Satan is loosed again and comes back and the armies of this world fight against God and his people again, we'll see that, again, they want nothing to do with God and his word. But the fact is, is that you can fight all you want. You don't have to agree with God's word. You don't have to like God's word. You don't have to be in the same ballpark with God concerning his word. But I'm telling you this right now, his word is still true. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I like in Psalm 119, verse 89 says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And so whether mankind agrees with the word of God or not, it really doesn't matter. Let God be true, but every man a liar, the Bible says. And so we have God's word today. And let me say, we have to get back to the word of God. You say, what do you mean back? Well, in the last six years alone, we've seen unprecedented changes. Uh, A quarter of a century ago, in 1991, 45% of American adults told Barna that they read the Bible at least once a week. In 2009, 46% reported doing so. Now, again, that's virtually no change. From 1991 to 2009, almost no change. So they were remarkably close. They were remarkably consistent over the course of those years. But since 2009 alone, and that's just been about eight years ago now, the Bible reading has become less widespread, especially among the youngest of adults. And more and more millennials join the ranks of adulthood uh, as they join the, uh, the ranks of adulthood, the national averages continue to weaken. Today, about one-third of all American adults report reading the Bible once a week or more. One-third. That's 33%. Can you imagine that? 33% from 45%. That's a 12% decrease just over the last seven years. I mean, I'll tell you something. We are in a very bad trend. We're in a downward spiral. People are moving away from the Word of God. And that percentage is highest among elders, of course, people that are of older age. 49% read the Bible at least once a week. And the lowest among them would be millennials, 18 to 31, I believe it is, 24%. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, there's a reason why when we go knocking on doors, the children today don't know anything or have any comprehension or understanding about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. There's no, there's no uh, uh, secret to why they don't understand who Noah is or, or who Samson is or, or the other Bible characters. They have no exposure to the Word of God today. And that's only getting increasingly worse. Not only is the fact that we're not reading the Bible today and not being exposed to the Word of God like we did, but even from the other standpoint, there's skepticism concerning the Word of God. And that is on the rise as well. Again, there's a rising skepticism about the Bible as a sufficient guide for living a meaningful life. He said, do you believe that the Bible is a means by which to live a meaningful life? Is it a sufficient guide to do so? The percentage of people who strongly agree with the statement has shrunk in the last six or seven years. 
from 53% in 2011 to 45% in 2016 alone. Just that five-year span. Now listen, that, that may not sound like a lot, but that's still a lot. That's a ton. That's, that's a big difference over the course of such a few short years. And the percentage of those, again, who disagree strongly or somewhat have increased over the same time frame from 23 to 33%. So again, we have a trend away from the Word of God. People do not believe that the Word of God will provide or meet the need in their life even. Trust in the Bible's reliability is also dropping, according to statistics. Barna first asked American adults in 1991 if they agreed or disagreed that, quote, the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. 25 years ago, 46% strongly agreed, close to half. But today, one-third of Americans say so. Now, that ought to be alarming to you, and it's alarming to me, as the percentage of those who strongly disagree has nearly doubled in these last few years. I mean to tell you, that's a problem. So to summarize Barna's findings, what we can say is, even in the, in, in, as he puts it, should I say, the, the, at least the president of Barna Research says, even in just the, the few years Barna has been conducting State of the Bible interviews, the data is trending toward Bible skepticism, said Deva Kinneman, president of Barna and director of the research. With each passing year, the, pres- the, pre- uh, excuse me, the percent of Americans who believe that the Bible is just another book written by men increases. So too do the perceptions that the Bible is actually harmful and that people who live by it, excuse me, who live by its principles are religious extremists. Now listen to me. And again, I hear some of you and it is, it it almost sounds so ridiculous that it's almost humorous, but may I say that'll be the reason why we're in jail one day. I mean, it is a sad time in American history when we find that the Word of God and those that follow through with it or those that believe in it or strongly agree with its principles and live by those principles or be considered religious fanatics or extremists. And may I say to you today that when you start talking about extremists, just put the word fundamental in front of it and fundamental extremists puts you right on the same level as a Muslim who's blowing up the Twin Towers. We got problems in America because we're moving away from the Word of God. And may I say today, it's time to get back to the Bible. Now, you and I know that the Bible is pure, that it's preserved, that it's perfect, sure, right, clean, enduring, true, righteous, sweet, and forever settled in heaven. We got that nailed down. We understand that. And since the Word of God is perfect, it's impossible to improve on it with any more practical ideas for better living. That's, it doesn't matter. It, it's not to be improved upon. It's not to be bettered. We see it. We understand it. And here's the bottom line. I'll tell you what the problem is today. It is not that we need a simpler version so we can better understand it. It's that we got to get back to the Lord Jesus Christ and the filling of the Spirit of God because it is in the Spirit of God, leadership and His illumination, that we understand the Word. The reason why we need so many versions today and the reason why we dumb down the Word of God so that ultimately it is not even the Word of God that we have once preached and taught is because we don't have the Spirit of God directing and leading us. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. And may I say today that we have an America, American population that believes themselves to be spiritual and they are in one regard, but they are not godly. And that is why the Bible does not take the place of precedence that it did in days of, of old. That's why we're moving away from the Word of God, and yet we are the most spiritual uh, people that we've ever been. More people delving into spiritual things. More people believing themselves to be spiritual men and women. 
That's a sad state of affairs. We are not scriptural, but we believe ourselves to be spiritual. And as the national trends indicate a departure from the Bible, again, I, I, I say it's time to get back to the Bible. And, and not simply as a literary work of art. Not just as a good book rendering a positive moral compass or offering merely practical ideas for better living. No, I'm talking about back to a book. I'm talking about back to God's Word, the Word of God that is nothing less than infallible, inerrant, perfect in both concept and in every single word. We've got to get back to the Bible. So we need to get back to the Bible. The Bible tonight is what we need. And I want to share just a couple of points. We only have a few moments, so we'll get through what we can. But I want to talk to you about getting back to the Bible today. And boy, I'll tell you what, if we're going to get back to God, you have to get back to the Bible. You don't find God anywhere else. He says, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. John 5, 39. So we need to get back if we want to get a glimpse of him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you mean to us. And Lord, we understand and realize that there is certainly a problem in America as far as the Word of God is concerned. The authority of the Bible is being questioned. Father, the integrity of the Word of God has been uh, placed on trial. Lord, the fact is is that mankind believes themselves to be an equal judge of the Word of God compared to you. Equal. Lord, there's a problem with that. It's your Word. It's not theirs. Help us, Lord, just to honestly embrace your word and father apply your word and ultimately father get back to it like we ought to not just in the church but ultimately in our nation we love you lord we desperately need you may we see a revival of the word of god in our country well thank you in christ's name amen so the bible we need to get back to the bible the bible as god's word first we need to get back to the bible as god's word you know This book, the Bible, is supernaturally conceived. Most of us or many will consider it or talk about it, speak of it as being inspired. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Again, the word of God, the scriptures, is given by inspiration of God. God breathed, many would say. Well, I'll tell you what, we have a book today that is not out of the, the mind or the, the concept of man. It is God's word. And when we hold this book in our hand, we need to remember whose book it is and whose word it is. It is his word. And, you know, obviously we understand that there were 40 writers over a period of 1,600 years. You figure between Moses and John in 96 AD, we have these men that God used to pen the word of God. But the fact is, is that because they penned it doesn't make it man's book. It was God's book. He was the author. They were simply the instrument that God used to pen it. I use the illustration all the time, and I think it's very simple simple and very appropriate. But the fact is, is that if I would ask someone to come forward today, take this pen and write their name on a piece of paper, and I'd say to you, who wrote that? You would say to me, if it was Brother Don who was using the pen, you'd say, Brother Don wrote that. But in reality, we could say, no, the pen did. But the truth is, you were right the first time. He just used the instrument. He was actually the author. The pen was the instrument he used. And may I say that the man was only the instrument that God used. Men were only the pen in the hand of a God who wrote his word. And you can go ahead and we can debate it. We can argue it all day long and say, well, man wrote the word of God. But I'm going to tell you something. It was inspired or God breathed. 
It was his word, his Bible, his book. And it harmonizes perfectly. Perfectly, 1,600 years, 40 different writers, and yet when you compile them, put them all together, you've got a, just a, a, a flow of information from start to finish that points to the same person and the same purpose. An amazing book, a supernatural book, God's word. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It, it wasn't, as he says here, it came not in old time by the will of man. Man didn't decide to write the word of God. God did. It's his book. Not only is it supernaturally conceived or inspired, but it is supernaturally preserved. This is very important today. Look, if you will, in the book of Psalm, chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. The book we hold in our hand is a preserved book. Preserved. That is very, very important when it comes to the authority and, and, and the authenticity of the Word of God. Preservation. Preservation. The Bible says in the book of Psalm, chapter 12, verse 6 to 7, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. In the Old Testament here, we have the psalmist writing and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, this, this book, this words of the Lord, they're pure words. And, and they're as though they were tried in a furnace of earth seven times. That seven is the number of completion. And we see here, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them. Listen, he's not asking mankind to preserve his word. He's not asking you to preserve his word. He says, I'll take care of it. I've got it handled. It's my word. I'll preserve them. And God does indeed do that. See, the issue is preservation. Man says something like this. He says, well, I believe that the Bible in the originals were inspired and infallible, but man has tainted the pure word of God, and now there is error. See, before man got a hold of it, it was perfect. Before man got a hold of it, it was pure. God wrote it down. Oh, I get it. So if we only had the, that, 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 that uh, um, stone tablet that Moses had out of the mount, if we could only get the one that God wrote with his finger, then we could say we have literally the word of God at our disposal. Otherwise, we have to trust men to get it to us without problems. That's how it works, I see. No, that's not how it works. That's why God said he would preserve the word. And, and, and it was inspired by God. It was God-breathed, but then he preserved the word. He protected it. He, he kept it from corruption. God did that, not you, not me. See, I believe the originals were inspired, and I believe they were infallible, but I'll tell you this. I don't believe man could corrupt what God says is incorruptible. I don't think they could do what God says he's going to protect. See, again, this presumption implies that God's power is limited, that God has only his, his stretch or his reach is only so far. If man can corrupt the word of God, then God's a liar today. Can we really believe anything he says then? What portion of the word of God is true? Which portion isn't? Who determines what is right and wrong? Is it me because I have a Bible college background or education? Oh, you're just a common, simple fool sitting in a pew. You wouldn't have any clue what the Bible teaches. You have to understand Greek to get it figured out. you got to know the background of every single word and the etymology of every single word. Hey, that's ridiculous. That's the battle that was fought back there in 1500s as we had Martin Luther and others coming out of the, uh, out of the Reformation saying, listen, it's time we get the book out of the pulpit and get it into pews again where it belongs with the common people. God God never intended that the Bible stay with the preacher. He intended it to be in the pew with the people. 
You don't have to have a college education to understand the book. You need the Spirit of God in your life to understand the book. It's ridiculous to think that you have to know Greek in order to understand an English Bible. That doesn't even make sense. So if you don't know Greek, you're stuck. You're dependent on some human being to define the Word of God and explain the Word of God. That makes no sense at all. And may I say to you today that God gave you the Word of God just like He did me. And He took that Bible that He inspired and that He breathed and He put it in the possession of man. But I'll tell you what, He didn't leave it to man to keep it. He said, I'll keep it. Just like He said He'd keep your salvation, He's keeping this book pure. Supernaturally preserved. Supernaturally. In John 10, 29, the Bible says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. It's amazing how we'll trust God to protect us and keep us safe and uncorrupted in His hand. We'll give Him our very soul and trust Him with it. But then on the other hand, we'll question whether God's powerful enough and strong enough to keep His Word pure in His hand. I think I'll trust God with His Word instead of me or somebody else. I'll trust Him. He can can certainly hold his word secure in his hands and ensure it remains pure and perfect as well. Psalm 119 verse 140 says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. So what we hold in our hands today in the King James Bible is the word of God. It's God's word. Someone says, well, I've got a version and it's 97.9% accurate. So which is the other 2.1%? Who determines which 2.1 doesn't belong or isn't his word? And somebody says, well, you're just a, you're a fool because you simply are just, you know, ignorant to the reality of things. You've not done your study. Hey, that's all right. Let me tell you something. You dig into this book, what you find is something very simple and very important. That Jesus and the word are synonymous. You cannot separate the two. You tell me your Bible has error in it, then Jesus Christ is a savior with error then he has sin in his life. There's a problem with that, my friend. Jesus Christ is without sin, therefore the word has to be without error. There has to be consistency. It's commonsensical to me. It just makes sense to me. English-speaking people have a preserved word of God, and it is pure to this day, as pure as it was when it was penned. It wasn't that long ago there was a big debate on to whether or not the Bible is truly inspired or not. Well, I don't know what you believe preservation means, but I'll guarantee you this. I know this much. It doesn't mean we have less than what he gave. I know that much. And someone says, well, is the word of God inspired? I don't know. Does it still have spirit power? Does it still perform miracles? Is it still the way, the truth, and the life? Is it the only way that a man gets saved is through the precious word of God? I don't know. You come up with a gospel and see if it works. It's the only what God says is what works. I'm telling you, it's the word of God. That's why when you get, lead someone to Christ, you open the word of God. Why? Because it's the power. It's where the power lies. is in the word of God and the spirit of God. Supernaturally preserved. I don't have to question. I don't have to wonder whether or not this book has the same... God breathed power that it had. God said he'd preserve it from this, that generation forever. What I hold in my hand is just as authoritative as what there is today. By the way, can you imagine being judged based on the word of God? You know when the books are opened in heaven? 
and all of a sudden you get to the judgment seat or you get to the, to the great white throne and all of a sudden he, in this case, the great white throne, he rips out the Bible, he pulls it open, the books are opened and he's got your works there but then he's got the, he's got the, uh, uh, the, the, the um, word of God and he says, all right, we're going to judge you out of the word of God. We're going to judge you out of a perfect standard. Here's the problem. You don't measure up to the perfect standard and someone says, oh, hold on, hold on. Which version are you using? Because my Bible says, hold on, Jesus, hold on, God, before you go any further, I got to know which one you're using because the one I had when I was living says this. You're telling me that this is the word of God. But wait a second, I didn't even have what you're judging me by because we lost it all those years ago. Well, there's a problem with that. There's been a Bible throughout the ages. Somewhere, somehow, it's there. It's been preserved. It's been kept. So, first of all, we need to get back to the Bible as God's Word. We've got to get back to the Bible as our final authority. Our final authority. In John 17, 17, we noted it already. It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Again, we've noted this. We've talked about it. We've mentioned it numerous times through the years. But I'll tell you one thing. What you hold in your hand is truth. Go ahead and search the world for truth. But if you really want to know what the truth is, you'll find it here. Listen, you go to university after university, and you may or may not hear truth. But I'll guarantee you the one place you'll always find truth in the word of God. Statistics reflect a rapid changing moral code and a departure from biblical absolutes. Among these, uh, those adults of no faith, now these are among adults that really have no faith, two-thirds agree, about 67% of them, that the only truth one can know is whatever is right for one's own life. So whatever's right for your life is what truth is. That's the authority. You and what you feel, and what you believe. About two-thirds of all American adults, 65% this time, agree either strongly or somewhat that every culture must determine what is acceptable morality for its people. Wow, that's scary, isn't it? Can you imagine that? Out of ten doors that you knock on, statistically... Almost six and a half to seven of them would say to you that the word of God isn't really the key. The key is our culture. Our culture determines what truth is and what right is and what our moral position ought to be. Why in the world do you believe today that even within the context of the church, the, the, the authority of the word of God is being questioned? I'll tell you why. Because Satan is doing a well of a job deceiving even the believer into believing that truth right there. Somehow, someway, because of our connection to others or our proximity to the world, wanting to be accepted by them, we have embraced their ideologies. And we too, if not careful, come to the position that if it's going to hurt someone or if it takes a position that sounds a little harsh, then we might want to give in a little bit here or there. What we are really saying is, is that the culture determines what morality is. That we as a nation and that we as a people will determine what is right for us, morally speaking. Not God and His Word. Well, that's dangerous. Where does that end? 
You know, you know what? Let's just make it real simple. I'll tell you where it ends. By the way, everybody that's 65 and over can stand up. Don't do it right now. But you can stand up because you are useless and all you are is a financial drain on our economy. You might as well go away. You have, you have enjoyed life long enough and you have contributed as much as you can. You are just a drain on our financial institution the United States of America. So we'll just do away with you. And morally speaking, it'll be all right because as a nation, we agree that they're just dead weight. That's where it ends. We decide what and who deserves to live. We make those decisions. As a nation, we determine the moral code. We determine how it works. Our culture, our society makes up their mind. What is truth? What is right? What is authoritative? What can and can't be done? Let me tell you something. That's not how God ever intended it to be. We serve a God who never changes. I'm telling you, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Now listen, our, our cultural uh, norms may change and the world may take a different view today as it, uh, than it will tomorrow. But the fact is that Jesus Christ, he is no different than he was back then. Today and tomorrow, he's the same. And his position on moral truth is the same. His position on how we ought to live as believers will not change. His word is settled in heaven. And may I say today, it never will change. In John 1, 1, again, the Bible says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And ultimately, in verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, like we said, the Word and the Son, Jesus Christ, are identical. They're one in that passage. You can't have one without the other. Either you have a Bible, again, without error, and a Savior without error, or you don't. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how much the culture changes, it doesn't matter how much society changes, this book will not change. Because if Jesus Christ is not going to change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, let me tell you something. You've got a Bible that's consistently, consistent as well. Because they're one and the same. The Word of God is perfect and unchanging. You can count on it to steer you right. No matter what generation, what time in history you live, this book is going to work. And someone says, well, there have been changes to the Word of God. In every generation throughout history, there's been a word that you could go to and you could count on. Go ahead. You say, well, prove it. Well, you prove it isn't so. It's always funny how that works. You talk about standards and someone says, well, how come I should dress like this? Or how come I should do that? It's always the other side they want to bring. They want you to prove to them that they ought to have a standard. My question is, who told you you don't have one? Who told you that the word of God is corrupt? Who told you that the word of God is with errors? And that it's okay to have errors in the word of God? Who's telling us this? How's come there are multiple versions of the Bible? If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then why wouldn't his word be consistent? If he promised to preserve it from this generation forever, how's come his word is being questioned? Why is it that God's always being questioned? How's come his word's always being thrown under the microscope? Hey, listen, I'll give you this. If you believe an NIV or an NASV or any other version of the Bible is without error, my friend, I have respect for you at least. At least what you hold in your hand you believe is the word of God. And you're willing to live and die by it. 
But I have yet to meet a person that doesn't hold something other than a King James Bible in their hand that tells me they believe their Bible's without error. I've never met them yet. I've not met that person yet. Usually, someone that uses another version will say this, every Bible has error. My friend, I'm just a little concerned with that mentality because I think it leads toward the world's perspective. I think, once again, it's questioning God's ability to preserve His Word as He promised in chapter 12 of of, of, of Psalms. Our final authority ought to be the Word of God. Its truths are timeless. Its principles eternal. Years ago, I... uh, I worked for the IG, the investigating general, you would, of the Army, uh, not the biggest guy, but of our regiment. We had a regiment of over a 1,000 fellows, and I happened to be working for the IG. He was also the communications officer, and so he was the communications officer and the investigative general, so if there were problems, there were issues, he would be contacted, and then research had to be done. And uh, if an accusation was made or, uh, of misconduct or wrongdoing, Then we always took a a walk across the hallway to what they called S1. There was S1, S2, S3, S4, all of that. I don't want to get into what that means. But nonetheless, we walked across to the S1 where we could consult the Army Code of Regulations. There they had a whole set of Army Code of Regulations. Do you realize that when we walked across that hallway and we opened up that Code of Regulations and we looked at that so-called infraction, we, we judged it based on the code of regulations. The IG, myself, no one else determined how it would be handled. No, the code of regulations determined that. It was already spelled out. It was already written out. It was already prepared. All we had to do was find what the army said was the procedure involved. If there was misconduct, what was the misconduct? Let's look at it. Where does it fall in the code of conduct? It was simple. And that would determine the course of action that would be taken. I was an E3 at the time. I'd been passed up for promotion. I I, I was supposed to be promoted beforehand. And and they had in the military regulations that you, within two years, if you had time and grade of two years and you had uh, certain qualifications and requirements that you met, then you were guaranteed that you would be promoted as long as there was no uh, negative reviews and other problems that were involved. And I still remember going to my boss at the time, the IG, and I said to him, listen, I threw a book on his table and I said, right there it is. I said, by this date, I'm supposed to have my E4, whether or not somebody wants to promote me or not. Now, you've got to understand, the military is a funny place. If certain people don't like you, they'll make your life miserable. There were, I had a sergeant when I first got there that loved me to death. I got to stand in front of three-star generals. I saluted four-star generals. I was there, and I was always the one out front. And he said, you will be an E5 before you leave here in a year and a half, O'Donnell. He got canned. They sent him somewhere else. The next guy came in and goes, oh, oh, I see who, yeah, I know you, O'Donnell. I've been sick of how he's been doting over you and how you get to always do all the good duties and Uh, Sergeant so-and-so took good care of you. He put you under his wing. Well, guess what? I don't think you're all that. And boy, I knew right then it was over. Happy days are not here. And before it was over with, I got moved out of my unit, which was a communications unit, and I went across the street and worked for the communications officer of the regiment, and I was working with the IG, if you will, the uh, inspector general. 
So I said, listen, there it is, two years. It's right in the regulations. It's spelled out in black and white. He said to me, well, that's not my problem. You know, the, you know what the regs say. You deal with it. I said, but you're, you're, my, you're supposed to take care of me. He said, too bad. I'm not getting my nose in that mess. And so I took the regulations across the street. And I made an appointment to see my captain. He never talked to me in his life. And I said, I am E3, Mark O'Donnell. And sir, I wanted to talk to you and discuss my promotion. He said, what do you mean? That has to come from your, 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 uh, uh, you know, your leaders. And I said, I understand that, but my leaders are being uh, a little hesitant. They're not following through with the regulations. He said, well, I'd have to see those. I said, I'm glad you asked. I brought a book with me. And I laid it out, and I said, right there it is. I meet every qualification. He said, how's come your platoon sergeant hasn't put you up for E4? How's come this? I said, I have no idea. All I know is that, that I am ready to be promoted, and according to the code of conduct and the standard of the military, I meet the qualifications. See, it wasn't whether I, what I said. It wasn't what he said. It had nothing to do with even my, my superiors. The bottom line was is that there was a code of conduct, and within that, that, that those, those regulations, it identified, it outlined who gets promoted. And it wasn't just a month later. Guess what they were doing? Pin and stripes on Mark O'Donnell. Well, I'll tell you, there were some mad people. But they could not argue with the regulations. I'm going to tell you what. We got a book that is it's more authoritative than any army code of regulations, my friend. I mean to tell you, it spells out the life of the Christian. It spells out what is morally good and morally bad. It tells us what is right and wrong. It tells what's good and evil. Well, we got a Bible today, and this Bible needs to be our final authority. We can go ahead and listen to what mom and dad say, and we can hear what brothers and sisters have to say, and what aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandparents. We can listen to the media, and we can listen to the culture. We can listen to our society, but I'm telling you, in the end, the final authority better be the Word of God. We need to get back to this book, the Word of God. God forbid, let, every, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them when thou art judged. See, what God says goes. What God says goes. The final authority. May God help us today. That's all we have time for today. But may God help us to recognize the word of God and get back to the Bible. Back to the Bible as the word of God. Back to the Bible as our final authority. And we'll see that God can use us and he'll make a difference in our lives and the lives of others if we'll give the word of God the authority that it demands and deserves. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the simplicity of your word and we thank you, Father, for it. May you be glorified in our lives and help us, Lord, just to walk according to your word and not to question your word. There's no doubt, Lord, that uh, there are good questions that people need to ask. And Father, we need to understand truth on our own not just because a preacher says it. We need to understand it from you, your Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. So by all means, Lord, help us to question things and to look into things and do our own study and background. But, Father, when we come to truth and the Holy Spirit outlines and defines truth for us, may we not question Him or the Word of God. Father, help us, Lord, to truly believe the Word of God and never question its authority, its authenticity, or its author. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. Now, bless us tonight. And Lord, as we prepare now, Father, even for communion, Lord, help us, Father, to make sure that there's 
nothing in our life, Lord, that stands between us and you in the sense that there's open sin and known sin and that we're not facing or dealing with. There's no perfect people, Lord. We understand that. But Lord, may we not go into this harboring sin in our hearts, taking it unworthily. Lord, the best we know how, may we just give ourselves to you tonight and trust you and then rejoice as we remember what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.